Good morning, church. Please stand. Lord, we thank you this morning that we get to be in your presence, that we get to join into the things that you're doing and how you're moving in our midst, Lord. And this morning we just come in humble surrender as we begin the season of Lent. God is moving. He's moving every single day. Um, so just open yourself up to that today, Lord, to, today as we come before you, Lord. We come with open hands and expectant hearts to see miracles happen.
Almighty God, you all hearts are open, all desires known, and from you no secrets are hid. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name, through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Jesus said, the first commandment is this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. As we prepare to celebrate the mystery of Christ's love, let us acknowledge our sins and ask the Lord for pardon and strength. Most merciful God, I confess that I have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what I have done and by what I have left undone. I have not loved you with my whole heart. I have not loved my neighbors as myself. I am truly sorry, and I humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on me and forgive me, that I may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. The Almighty and merciful Lord grant you absolution, remission of all your sins, true repentance, amendment of life, and the grace and consolation of His Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, have mercy, Christ, have mercy, Kyrie Eleison.
Christ have mercy, give me Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy, Christ save And when I cannot stand or fall 
Wide 
Alet. Almighty God, whose blessed Son was led by the Spirit to be tempted by Satan, come quickly to help us who were assaulted by many temptations. And as you know the weaknesses of each of us, let each one find you mighty to save. Through Jesus Christ, our Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. chapter 2, verse 15 through 17. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. The word of the Lord. This morning's psalm is Psalm 32. We will be reading it by the half verse. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven. Whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. And in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones grew old. Through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. I acknowledged my sin to you. And my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. For this cause, everyone who is godly shall pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in the flood of great waters, they shall not come near them. You are my hiding place. You shall preserve me from trouble. You shall surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Do not be like the horse or like the mule, which have no understanding. Which must be harnessed with bit and bridle, else they will not come near you. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked. But he who trusts in the Lord, mercy shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord, and rejoice, you righteous. And shall for joy all you have right in heart. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning. 
morning. Second reading comes from the book of Romans, chapter 5, starting at verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sinned. For unto the law sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned, according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. But the free gift is not like the offense. For if by the one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from the one offense resulted in condemnation. But the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who received abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. The word of the Lord. Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Matthew. Glory be to thee, O Lord. St. Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, Command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, 
lest you dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, It is written again, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise be to thee, Lord Christ. echo that prayer this morning purify our hearts set us apart make us holy help us to surrender all of our desires and be holy about doing your will in Jesus name we pray amen you may be seated so today we are not going to talk about that fabulous gospel lesson but I had to stop for a moment Because as I was reading it, I was just struck by this idea in the temptations of Jesus, right? The devil is telling Jesus in this moment, at the third temptation, he says, he shows him all the kingdoms of the world, and he says, all of these things I will give you. And every time I hear that, I'm like, well... It's obvious. The devil doesn't have authority to give Jesus all of those things. That's not much of a temptation. It's a sham, right? But then God kind of convicted me and he said, if it's so easy to tell when you're being tricked, what's your problem? Because everything that we're ever promised that's outside of what God promises us is a sham. Just work really hard at your job so you can afford that house 
so you can be happy. And the extra 50 hours a week that you're working is worth it. It'll pay off. And then you get the house and your wife leaves you because you didn't love your family at all. You put your entire life into a job to get a thing that you were promised, which was that beautiful, wonderful American dream of wealth and financial independence. That's just one example. But think of anything you're tempted to do that you know it's wrong. It's always a sham. The pleasure is temporary and the pain, we're told, is eternal. Whatever you choose that's not God, the pleasure is temporary and the pain is eternal. God's promise is precisely the reverse. The pain is temporary and the pleasure is eternal. And that's true joy. And not only that, when you pursue those things, not only does your life get better, everyone's life gets better. It's good all the way down. And that brings me to what we're talking about today. We're talking about Jesus' journey in his last week on earth. We're talking about, for the next few Sundays, what did Jesus talk about? What did Jesus do when he knew he would be crucified within five days? What is he doing? What would you do? You have a three-year ministry. You've been on the earth 30 years. And you know you got five days left. What would you do to establish your kingdom? Now, of course, everybody's saying, well, then he rose again and he had, you know, 40, 50 days on earth before he ascended. I know all that, but I want to just highlight what Jesus is doing in this little bit of time in Holy Week. Because what he's trying to do is he's trying to teach us how his kingdom works. And it doesn't work the way that we think it works. There's a couple of uh, examples from my life in the past couple of weeks that helped me as I was thinking about this message and this series. And I was talking to, well, they both come from my children watching TV. So, set the scene. Rowan wants to watch that Jesus movie that he saw pass by on Pure Flix. It's a streaming service with all Christian stuff, and it's a cartoon, and so I throw it on. It's a little intense for a five-year-old, let me tell you. Uh, they don't, they, they tell the story as it is. And so they start with John getting thrown into prison on the island of Patmos, and the Romans are beating him up a little bit as they go, and Rowan's eyes are big. He's like, what is happening in this story? And it's all from John's perspective, and they go through John's gospel, and they tell some of the key stories of Jesus. They have moments where he's uh, turning over the tables in the temple, and he's angry, you know, and they portray it really well. And they have moments where he's weeping over Jerusalem. How long I wish to gather you under my wings. All of that happens in the stories we're going to talk about in this series. And Rowan's question time and again throughout this movie was, Dad, is this real? Is this real? And I said, yeah, this really happened. Of course, he gets the point. This is a cartoon. That particular portrayal may not be what happened, but he's like, this really happened to Jesus? It fascinated him. And I just remember when I was looking at this, I was like, let's not treat this like a good moral lesson. Oh, yes. Well, now that I have studied the story of Jesus, I understand how the world works. No, that's not it. This actually happened. This is real. And I hope as we talk about this Holy Week that it becomes once again real for us. And that's my prayer is that the Holy Spirit makes it real for us as we read through these stories. And then they were watching this other movie, not quite as edifying, although it's good, uh, called The Princess and the Frog. 
And uh, they're watching this movie. And, of course, the great um, joke of the movie is that the princess kisses the frog. She's not a princess at this point, but she kisses the frog looking for a frog prince. Instead, she becomes a frog as well, right? And the adventures ensue. Um, but there's this great song that, well... It might not be all that great, but Ruby seems to think it's really great. And so I get to hear it about three or four times a day. And she sings about, I'm almost there. I'm almost there. People are going to be coming from everywhere. I'm almost there. And it's all about her dream to open this beautiful restaurant, right? She's working her life to get to this point where she can open a restaurant. It's this dream. She's moving towards it. And as she's going through it, this whole movie happens in the space of about a week because there's a date that they have to match and she's almost there to get her restaurant. She gets the restaurant at the end, but don't you know her entire life is lived in that one week. Her entire life was just working, but then that week, the spiritual forces of wickedness do not want her to achieve her goals. I'm spiritualizing here, but there literally is like a spellcaster and spirits and all this stuff that's going on that she has to overcome. And it reminded me of what's going on here in Holy Week. We also like to read our gospel readings like Jesus just walked around doing whatever he wanted and people were just confused in the background and Jesus just knew what he was doing. There was a war going on. There was a war for the hearts of men. And Jesus came to save the world from the spiritual forces of darkness. And so as we read this, not only do I want you to think of it as real as we look at these stories, I want you to think of it as Jesus is attacking and overcoming the spiritual forces of wickedness who had laid claim to his world and his people. If you think about it that way, it takes on a little bit of a different urgency. And that's what happens in Holy Week. In fact, John's gospel is like 15 chapters of Holy Week. Because it's so important what happens in those times. That's why they call him the Passion Gospel. Because he really focuses on the suffering and death of our Lord and what was going on theologically in that time. All of that was the intro. Now we get to start a full sermon. I'll reset my clock here. No. (laughs) That's the main thing I want you to walk away today thinking is, as we go through Lent, let's focus on what was Jesus trying to accomplish? What is the point? What is the point? And what are we doing to line up with what he's doing in our midst? So let's start in Luke chapter 9, 51. um, When he says, when the days drew near for him, Jesus, to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, that is on the cross, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. Now, there's a whole arc to the Jesus story that I think we sometimes miss because we just read it piecemeal so often. He does these things where he's establishing his bona fides and bringing the kingdom to earth. And that leads to this great miracle of feeding the 5,000. He has all these miracles and he's basically by his actions and by his words, he's proclaiming, I'm the Messiah. The kingdom of God is here. And then we get to this beautiful moment where Peter confesses Jesus Christ as Lord, where he says, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are Christ the Lord. And then we get the higher moment of transfiguration, which if you remember, we just had last week. They set it up that way, right? The transfiguration was God is among us in the person of Jesus Christ. 
And then Jesus started to change his message a little bit. And then he started to tell his disciples, and yes, I am all those things. I have all the power. I'm bringing the kingdom to earth, and they're going to beat me up and crucify me. And the disciples are like, wait, wait, what? What do you mean? And it's like he spends two years, a little bit more than two years, establishing that the kingdom's here. I'm healing the blind. I'm raising, I'm doing these things, raising the dead. All of this stuff is happening. I'm the, and they get ready to go. And then all of a sudden it's like, and in order to fulfill my mission, I'm going to be crucified. And everybody who follows me is going to scatter. And that brings us to Lent. That's what Lent is really all about, is this preparation that Jesus makes in his disciples and in his followers for the way that his kingdom comes. Because he had to teach them, otherwise they would have missed it. In fact, as you probably know, they still missed it. It took quite a while for them to go back over what Jesus said and did to realize what he was talking about. So he sets his face towards Jerusalem. And that brings, actually that phrase is from a messianic prophecy uh, in Isaiah chapter 50, verse 5. So we'll read through this row here, real quick here. And you can see what Jesus' mindset is as he's heading in to this holy week. It says, The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious. I turned not backward. I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. But the Lord God helps me. Therefore I have not been disgraced. Therefore I have set my face like flint. And I know that I shall not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near to me. Behold, the Lord God helps me. Who will declare me guilty? Now imagine, Jesus knew these prophecies, and he knew at this point they were about him. And he's going in knowing he's going to be disgraced, spit upon, but it's got that hope in it. Who's my adversary? Come near. God will vindicate me. And yet he knew, unlike his followers, that that vindication was only coming after the grave, after the cross. And he tried to teach them. And the prophecies actually provide Jesus' playbook. As you look at what he does, he actually fulfills the prophecies as he goes along, as he's walking out God's will, and he does it intentionally. So when we talk about what he's doing in today, where we're starting, we're starting on Sunday, Palm Sunday of Holy Week, what is he doing there? He's acting out the prophetic vision for the coming of the kingdom of God. But what Jesus knows is that the path through is down. The path through is down. And for many of us, the thing that we're facing, the thing that we're striving for, that we are hoping for, the path through might be down. And we need to open our eyes and our mind to what God is leading us into. It might not look the way that you think. In fact, we'll see in this next passage, Jesus predicts his death to his followers three times. To try and get the point across. And this is literally right before he tells them to go get the donkey. Like the day before, the next morning he's going to tell them to go get the donkey. For Palm Sunday, he says this to them in Matthew chapter 20. And as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the twelve disciples aside and on the way said to them, See, 
We are going to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and he will be raised on the third day. Once again, it was so impossible for his disciples to believe that that was what Jesus wanted to do, that it took them till after the events took place to go back and say, that's what he meant. He meant he would be flogged and crucified when he said it. They're like, okay, he's saying there's going to be opposition. You know, he's saying that there's going to be hardship. But Jesus knew his mission and he set his face like flint in spite of that. How many of us can say the same? How many of us, when we see the hardship coming, find a way to make it easier on ourselves? Find a way to duck aside. I say all this to say, not you bad people, but to say, hey, maybe God's purposes are actually right on the side of that challenge that you don't think you can overcome. Maybe God's healing and resurrection and power is right through that situation that is crippling you with anxiety or fear. Okay, let's go into our main uh, story for today. It's very brief. We're not going to spend a ton of time on it. We're pretty familiar with this one. We've got Mark chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord has need of it, and we'll send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at the door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, What are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. So Bethphage and Bethany, I just want to highlight, Bethany's where Lazarus was, right? That's his main base of friendship and support. And so he's established his outside base, outside the perimeter of Jerusalem, where he's going to now launch these spiritual attacks into the heart of what the enemy wants to do in Jerusalem. So we can think about it that way. And his first attack is to ride a donkey into Jerusalem. What? Why? I think we lose some of the comedy here. It's like if you know, the president, he shows up in the black cars, right? The, the Escalades, the limousines, the blacked out, you know, rigged up. It's like if instead the president showed up in a smart car, lime green, you know, the, the windows open. He like is kind of crawling out of the smart car, can't quite fit. That's what it's like with Jesus. Because he's not only riding a donkey, he's riding a young donkey. So his legs are hanging. They're probably just like a few inches off the ground. He's just kind of moseying along. And that's the picture of the conqueror who's going to rule the world? No way! But, once again, Jesus had a playbook. He had something he was following in the scriptures. He had a God who was leading him. It was intentionally humble. Let's look in Zechariah uh, chapter 9, verse 9, where we get this. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion! Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. God uses the foolish things to confound the wise. 
He needed everyone to know from then till eternity that his way was not to meet satanic power with satanic power. His way was weakness. God ordained weakness. Because you know what? There's no fight between the enemy and God. God created everything, including the enemy. And so he doesn't have to fight him on his terms. Instead, he can demonstrate his love for us, his absolute humility in coming in the form of a servant who dies on a cross. And yet we go out into the world like, man, I need to earn as much money as I can so I can accomplish my will in the world. Maybe. Maybe God has called you to make quite a bit of money so that you can further his kingdom. But let's do it his way. Let's do it his way. God is trying to establish that his way is not cool. It is not more powerful in the worldly terms, but it is right and it is good and it is humble. Okay, let's keep going. Mark 11, verse 8. And many spread their cloaks on the road and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the field. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming of our father David, Hosanna in the highest. And everybody in his following goes, they get it. They finally see this is the Christ. We're going to go on and we're going to conquer the world. And yet all of us think in our head, yeah, that same crowd in a week is going to be crying out, crucify him, crucify him. Crucify him. Where, what, what is happening here? Well, I mean, at the very least, the fickleness of crowds, right? We know how that works. We see it every day on the internet, right? Twitter, you got one day, this is the great evil, everyone go crucify them, then this person's the savior, the next day, that person needs to be crucified, let's put in a new savior. I mean, this is a part of human nature, so absolutely that's what's going on. But there's another layer that's a little deeper here. And that is that when Jesus goes in and he has the Hosanna and the Davids, he spends all week teaching them that they may not want to follow him. Because they think he's coming in to be a religious ruler who will make sure that the Jews are the dominant force in the world once again. And all week long, as you're going to see through this series, he's teaching them over and over again, that's not why I'm here. In fact, he goes into their temple, their heart of their power, and throws over all the tables, throws it out and calls it a house, a den of thieves. And he starts going after them. He starts showing them what is wrong in their own heart, and they don't like it. In fact, by the end of it, they don't like it enough that they're willing to go along with the crowd and say, crucify him. So keep that in mind. In fact, I think our journey through Lent may sometimes mirror the crowds. We're going to be so holy this Lent. I'm going to give up all my vices and I'm just going to walk into Lent with such a holy perspective. And then by the end of Lent, we're like, God, this is not fun. I didn't realize that just giving up food every once in a while or giving up alcohol or whatever it is that you gave up for Lent wasn't all God wanted to do. In fact, oftentimes through Lent, I think he tries to highlight for us things that are further than what we thought we needed to do. 
I already know this. I'm just telling you, right? This is from personal experience. In the first three days of Lent, I was just telling Haley the other day, I was like, it's already hard. I'm three days in. What? That doesn't make any sense. Maybe the problems in me are a little deeper than I like to think. So just be open to that this Lent. Let's not turn into the crowd who crawls out, crucify him. Let's accept what he's doing in our midst. It's going to shake things up. It's going to change the way that we view the world if we let him. That's what he's about. Okay. Then the Pharisees, they want to get their peace in, right? Luke 19, 39 to 40. Some of the Pharisees heard the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Sick burn, Jesus. Yeah, right? There's like a real power and an authority in that statement. And yet we read it like, oh, he's just quoting scripture or something. No, he's like, he's telling them, no longer am I disappearing when you guys want to kill me. I'm standing straight and tall and telling you what I'm about because it's time. I'm referencing one time he was doing stuff they didn't like. They tried to stone him and he just kind of walked away, right? Because it wasn't time. It wasn't time for him to die on the cross. But this week, he's going to tell them what God wants to do and what God wants to change. And it means their end. The end of the pharisaical spirit that had taken hold of their religious organization. Okay. The Pharisees need one more day in court before we judge them all and throw them into the basket. They had a realistic concern that if people are lauding a king of Israel, that the Romans were going to kill them all. Do you know why I know it's realistic? Because 40 years later, that's what they did. Everyone who lived in Jerusalem 40 years later died. Everyone. Everyone. Because the Romans came after them because somebody else said, I'm the king of the Jews. So let's give the Pharisees one more consideration. They do have a point. You don't want somebody saying there's a new king of the Jews when the Romans are around. Keep that in mind. But there's a deeper problem in the Pharisees' heart as we see the week unfold. And I'm going to tell one last story and we'll be done this morning. It comes from Dostoevsky, this brilliant piece of writing that, you know, I just wanted to say Dostoevsky so I could sound learned and smart. No, it's this simple story, this fable, in the midst of this big book that you can miss if you're going through it too fast. He talks about Jesus coming back today, which for him was a couple hundred years ago. But he, he says, okay, if Jesus were to come back today, what would it look like? And he talks about Jesus, he's healing people, he, the rabble's following him, all the poor people and sinners are clinging to him because he's proclaiming their life and resurrection and sin being forgiven. And the, the, the church officials have him arrested. Lo and behold, they throw him in prison. And the inquisitor comes in there and he goes, Jesus, what are you doing? We've got it all figured out. You didn't need to come back. You're ruining our plan to save the world. Literally, that's like the whole text of this thing. He's telling Jesus, like, we've got it. The last thing the people need is somebody stirring up unrest. The last thing people need is somebody throwing a wrench in the works. We've got it, Jesus. And in this harrowing moment, Jesus just walks up, gives him a kiss on the cheek, and walks out the door. That's the end of the story. But there's that conviction in us is what would you do if Jesus started to interrupt your life? 
In fact, dad gave us that same call last week. It's like, what would you do if God showed up and demanded something of you that you didn't like? This is a Lenten message through and through, guys. I'm not letting you off the hook. God wants something from us because he wants something for us, right? And so as we look at these things and we look at the Pharisees, what was the problem? The problem was they had got it all figured out. And then Jesus showed up. So if you've got Christianity figured out today, if you've got your life plan figured out today, look for Jesus to show up. You don't want to miss it. I know many times where I've given Jesus that same speech in my heart. God, don't interrupt here. I've got it figured out. What are you doing? What are you doing? I've got my life figured out. Okay. John tells us that his disciples didn't understand all these things. We've been hitting that all day, right? And then we see the ending of this story today. Matthew 21, 11. And he entered Jerusalem and he went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. So it took him all day because of the crowds and the questioning and all the things that were happening to finally get to the temple. And it was shut down and late. And he looked around and he thought, I'll be back. That was all he needed to accomplish that day. And he went to Bethany to regroup with his followers. And next week we get to hear what he did the next day. Amen? I've got one invitation for us. This Lent in our march, pun intended, right? It's March coming up. But in our march towards our cross, let us remember that Easter is coming. God has purposes to fulfill in your life this Lent. How much are you willing to let die? He is more than willing to redeem, restore, and resurrect. Amen? To recite together our creed, I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible. And in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all gods, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit in the Virgin Mary, and was made man, and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again, according to the Scriptures, and ascended into heaven, and is seated on the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again with glory to judge the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. And I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Brothers and sisters, since our trust is in God alone, Let us bring our needs and the needs of the whole world before him. 
that the church, as Christ's ambassador, will faithfully represent the kingdom of God here on earth. Lord, in your mercy, that governments will uphold the sanctity of all human life. Lord, in your mercy, that the world will be awakened to the admonition of Scripture that the day of the Lord is near, and today is the day of salvation. Lord, in your mercy, that we will be humble and obedient servants of God and our fellow man. Lord, in your mercy, that during this Lenten season, we will be reminded to keep our eyes on the things above and not on the things of this earth. Lord, in your mercy, that the poor, the lonely, the abandoned, and the needy will experience Christ through the love and care of his people. Lord, in your mercy, that our schools will become centers for sound learning, teaching Jesus as the source of all truth. Lord, in your mercy, for our own special intentions. Lord, in your mercy. Loving Father, you're gracious, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. Hear our prayer and give us the grace to remain faithful to the end. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Peace the Lord be always with you. Turn and greet your neighbor with the peace. Enjoying this uh, truly winter season. If you're from someplace other than Southern California, uh, you don't realize how unique this is. Uh, and uh, I hear so many people say, "Yeah, it's, it's kind of blase in California. It never gets really cold. It's just all the weather is so nice." Well, that's nice, but after. Uh, for 70 years, I'm, I'm ready for a little cold weather. Just break it up and see what it's like. See what those people back east have to put up with. But uh, <clears throat> anyway, in spite of the weather, we're entering Lenten season and our opportunity to uh, really, really get close to the Lord. I just want to continue, just like Jesse did, to encourage you to just. Deeply dive into this Lenten season. See what we can get out of it. Amen? Amen. Uh, we've got a couple of uh, changes and updates to our schedule coming up here. So uh, confession is offered during Lent, and it's uh, got a new time. It's going to be at 1 p.m. On, on Saturdays, and you can come down and, and do your confession. Uh, we also have praise dance starting. Uh, Bethany Mercer will be teaching it, and uh, for those of you who want to get involved, it's one of the most powerful ministries that I've seen acted out here in our in our worship services. So uh, for those of you who want to do it, please uh, come out and see her. I believe that starts today at 2 o'clock. Um, women's meeting, that is next Saturday, 
at uh, 10 a.m. And last but not least, uh, we're going to start this month and we're going to have three worship nights here at church. And uh, just for my for my home group, uh, you know, this will be in place of what what we normally do at my house. We're going to we're going to meet on the other weeks at my house for home group. But on these three weeks, we're going to have a special time to come here for renewal, revival, whatever God wants to do. We're going to see the Holy Spirit move in our lives. And so I encourage you, come out to these and see what God will do in your life. Amen. As we prepare to receive the body and blood of Christ in the Eucharist, let us respond to God's word by engaging with him in musical worship and presenting to God our tithes and offerings out of that which God has given to us. Together, through Christ, let us continually offer to God the sacrifice of praise. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. But do not neglect to do good and to share what you have. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Can't be said. 
Christ this morning. This is the table of the Lord. It's made ready for those who love him, for those who want to love him more. So come, you who have much faith, you who have little, you who have been here often and you haven't been here long, you who've tried to follow and you who've failed, come, because it's the Lord who invites you. It's his will that those who want him should meet him here. Come to the table. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Lift up your hearts. You lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Father, all powerful and ever living God, we do well always and everywhere to give you thanks through Jesus Christ our Lord. For you've given your children a sacred time for the renewing and purifying of their hearts that freed from disordered affections they may so deal with the things of this passing world as to hold rather to the things that eternally endure. And so with all the angels and the saints, we praise you as without end we acclaim. your Holy Spirit come upon these gifts to make them holy, so they may become for us the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Before he's given up to death, the death he freely accepted, 
He took bread and he gave him thanks. He broke it. Gave it to his disciples. He said, take, eat, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When supper was ended, he took the cup. Again, he gave thanks and praise. and He gave his disciples the cup and said, drink this all of you. This is my blood of a new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sin. Whenever you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. Let us proclaim this mystery of faith. Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. In memory of his death and resurrection, we offer you, Father, this life-giving bread, this saving cup. We thank you for counting us worthy to stand in your presence and to serve you. May all of us who share in the body and blood of Jesus be brought together in unity by the Holy Spirit. Lord, remember your church throughout the world and make us grow in love together with our patriarch, Craig, and all of the clergy. Remember those who are sick and firm in spirit, soul, or body. We hold up to stay Susan, Naomi, Sandra, Sandra, Tammy, David, Karen, Neil, Nancy, Jerry, Liliana, the House family, the Marines and sailors at Camp Pendleton, and all those in our armed services, you may pray for those who you are looking for God to heal and touch. Draw our hearts to remember the poor and the broken as we receive the body and blood of Jesus. May we be transformed to become the body of Christ for the world. Have mercy on us all. Make us worthy to share eternal life with the apostles and the martyrs and all the saints. May we praise you in union with them and give you glory through your Son, Jesus Christ, by him and with him and in him and the unity of the Holy Spirit. All honor and glory is yours, Almighty God and Father, now and forever. Amen. Jesus taught us to call God our Father. We have courage to pray. Our Father, Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Christ, our Passover, sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast. Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Have mercy upon us. Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Have mercy upon us. O Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Grant us thy peace. The gifts of God for the people of God, take them in remembrance that Christ died for you and feed on them in your heart with thanksgiving. Blessed are those who are called to the supper of the Lamb.
And all I have is just a whisper. You breathe in me a new song. You take me back, and I'll remember the joy of my first love. Praise will be my song. How can I contain it? I cannot contain this love. Oh, praise will be my song. How can I contain it? I cannot contain this love. I can't contain it. We laugh, your blood has covered. What we get is what you paid for. Cause through your death, our lives reborn. The joy of our salvation. Praise will be my. How can I contain it? I cannot contain this love. Oh, praise will be my soul. I cannot contain it. I cannot contain this love. I'll shout out. I will sing of your love for me. As you reach out. My 
God, Heavenly Father, you graciously accepted us, living Savior, of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And you have fed us with spiritual food in the sacrament of body and blood. Send us down to the world in peace and grant us strength and courage to love and serve you with gladness and singleness of heart. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in the battle and be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, a prince of the heavenly host, by the power of God, cast into hell, Satan, and all evil spirits who walk through the world seeking the ruin of our sins. Remember the gospel, God was in Christ Jesus, reconciling the world himself, not counting men's sins against them. It's an amazing concept, isn't it? God loves you, so He can't. <laughs> He's forgiving you. He's not angry. And He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. And the blessings of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be amongst you. Remain with you always.
contain it. I cannot contain 